Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your hustle and Kate like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And uh, Noel, we... We have TV news we're going to dive right in with here, but uh, so so I'm jinxing us by saying this, but we actually have a pretty manageable week in TV, um, and we're recording a little later than, than normal, so we, we're actually going to be a little bit more timely with a couple of the shows we talk about um, this week, uh, but I, like, I'm optimistic. I'm going to say 70-minute podcast this week. I think we can do it. And uh, now you've realized you've jinxed us, and we're going to do 140-minute obviously clearly Um, because we both have a lot to say about the nanny which is the show we're doing this week (laughs) yeah yeah well and that's our dvd shelf at the end of the show yeah um and we probably do have a fair bit to say about the nanny we do have a a, quite a bit to say actually about the nanny um but i felt so good about like my view because i like watched a bunch of episodes i looked up lists i looked up there's like some article about uh fran drescher's favorite episodes of the nanny and like i didn't see that and there's some other ones and like uh, and I was feeling so good about about like how much I'd seen, and then I realized that because um, I had like copied down the season episode numbers, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. and then I realized that the numbering system in uh, each Max of the different is, articles, yeah, was not the same. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> HBO Max sucks about that. They really, really do. But it's not just that. It was HBO Max's numbering versus the Wikipedia numbering versus the mm-hmm. article numbering. Oh, all different. <laughs> So the ones where I like was like checking back and forth and seeing what the episode Mm -hmm. title was, it was fine. But, but like after when I was like, Oh, I need to close this tab. So I'll just write down all the episodes. So some of them, I, I did not see the ones I thought you saw. I thought I saw, I was still, still, still playing them. But then listeners, I look at Noel's list. He's seen like literally all of the show again. (laughs) I have. It's true. (laughs) Um, in my defense, like I started rewatching this before we were going to do it. As well, a DVD shelf. Your defense is delightful. It's a Yeah, no, that's the other thing is I did like the first two seasons and then we decided to do it as a DVD shelf. And then I was just like, I'm just going to start skipping around. Um, but I was almost already done with most of season three. <laughs> um, so I just finished season three off. Um, but I did not watch all of seasons four, five, and six. Though I'm pretty sure I have by now. I just did not mark that I had watched the whole show for this. <laughs> So that's coming at the end of the podcast. It's going to be uh, a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Uh, We have some TV news, though, as I said. The first one is uh, where I pass things over to you, and you explain things to me that I have not dived, dove in with deep enough. Uh, All I know, the main takeaway I have for this story is just that John Oliver is going to have to change his business daddy shtick somewhat, tweak it over on Last Week Tonight, uh, because AT&T is like, they sold off all of their TV stuff, like HBO and Warner Media and all of that to Discovery or something? What's going on? Yeah, so um, it was was sort of kind of circulating late last weekend that AT&T was looking to get rid of literally everything that it had purchased for nearly $100 billion in 2018. Yep. And sell it to Discovery Inc., who... 
owns this owns a number of um whatchamacallit, like lifestyles, cable channels, including like Food Network, HGTV, and so forth and so on. Um and then on Monday, this past Monday on the 16th, or like the 17th or whatever Monday was, um everyone went, yeah, no, it's happening. Um so ATT is selling off all of the media stuff, all of it. HBO, all the Turner cable channels, the Warner Brothers Studios, DC, all of it. They're selling all of it to Discovery um, with a deal that's expected to like be finalized in like 2022, 2023 at the latest, depending on regulatory approval. Um, so that AT&T goes back to being just a telecom place that provides terrible service. <laughs> Um, and that's, that's the deal. Like, it's actually not that complicated. It's just AT&T looked at everything and went, oh, we don't know how to run a media company. Oh, but we spent $85 billion to learn that lesson. Well, no harm, no foul. Um, so. (laughs) Must be nice. (laughs) There's a, there's various other kinds of things that are happening with like stocks being Stocks being divvied up between Discovery, AT&T, and Warner. Um, but basically, the end result of this, because this is definitely going to pass regulatory approval, there's barely any reason for it not to, um, given the general state of media consolidation right now, that Warner Discovery, which is the name that's being floated around for this new company, is going to happen. Um, and... We'll find out how that works. Um, I have to imagine that all of the major television players like Kevin Riley and Bob Greenblatt and a bunch of other folks who AT&T fired mm-hmm. <laughs> are now like, WTF, folks? WTF. Um, Jason Killar, who's been hand- heading up Warner Media, is already like negotiating his way out of things because um, he's done... Um, the other like news about this is that a number of like film creative folks are very, very excited about this because they see discovery as a much more reasonable entity, um, that will play ball with them as opposed to AT&T who notoriously went, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna shove our entire 2021 film straight on film slate onto HBO max and not tell anyone about it. (laughs) Um, which is what they did this year. Yeah. Um, so there's just a bunch of stuff, but you can look forward to getting HBO Max and Discovery Plus as a bundle at some point within the next year, um, because that's what's going to happen. I really hope that they don't put them all on one thing, but um, because I don't think that makes sense. No, but it doesn't. Well, it's a good bundle to sell, just like Hulu and Disney Plus and ESPN Plus are, is a really good deal, because you basically just get ESPN for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, look for that because the future is streaming. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, HB. My main concern here is just don't mess up HBO Max, please, because <laughs> you guys have been doing so great with HBO Max. Like it's really uh one of the more impressive, quick like uh streamers to really establish itself with good mm-hmm. content and like an easy to use interface and all of that yeah. stuff. Um, but the, uh, the, I did see that they're putting out an ad supported version of HBO max now for like 10 bucks a month. And that doesn't make any sense to me because the whole thing with HBO is that it's, it's not TV, it's HBO, you know, but that's HBO. That's not HBO max is the thing. Like, I know, like it's deeply, deeply confusing that they want to do that, but I mean, it's just, it's, it just so changes how 
every show they make flows mm-hmm. to to have to build to, to add breaks or at least allow for that and yeah. it's it's not good for most storytelling um now i think a few act breaks works great because it, yeah. it, it flows with natural storytelling, right? But when you're up to like six ad breaks, like so many different, even half hour shows are, it just chops things up so much. So that's part of why I enjoy watching streamers is that they can not necessarily have to do that depending on the model of the different streaming you know, platforms. But anyways, we'll see what happens with that. Thank you for explaining it. I appreciate it. Yeah, no that. problem. I love that stuff, as you know. Yeah, there was other um, upfront news this week. And I like... Other things got picked up and, and canceled and all that stuff. There wasn't a lot of big stuff that I saw, so maybe I missed a day or so. But the ones that stood out, stood out to me that I think we care about here at the Televerse is that <laughs> fresh off our reporting and, well, our Mo Ryan's reporting in our discussion last week, All Rise has been canceled. The Unicorn has been canceled. And Evil is going to Paramount+. Plus. Now, uh, I don't really care so much as long as I get more evil. <laughs> so yes. Yeah. When can we watch Evil? And it's kind of crazy to me that it was ever on CBS. It makes more sense on at Paramount or like at a streaming thing from because of the content. But I, I am kind of sad that it won't be on CBS anymore. Um, but mostly, I want it in my eyeballs now. That's how I feel. Yeah. About well, it. it's soon. It'll be soon. Like so, we've got that to look forward to. Um, I'm I'm a little disappointed about the Unicorn. Um, mm-hmm. I'm. I'm not super surprised about All Rise just because of all the press, but it's still a little like, yikes. Yeah. Um, Evil going to Paramount Plus, I'm perfectly okay with. I think that the Kings, well, well, nothing's going to change in season two. If the show goes forward in season three, I imagine that there will be some changes, but Evil was basically, season two was produced as if it was going to air on CBS. So I think that we're not really going to see a difference unless it gets a third season. Mm-hmm. Um, Folded into this is a couple of other things is like Clarice is maybe also going to Paramount Plus for its second season. But the main thing that I want to pour one out for is David Boreanaz, because he has been on broadcast TV since 1997. This is a major titan that has fallen from broadcast television, even though he's a horrible human being. Um, It's just wild to me that he's not going to be on broadcast TV anymore. It's just weird. Um, so yeah, I see, but Seal Team, right? Is that the name of his show? Mm-hmm. Seal Team is also shifted to Paramount Plus. Um, so it's just weird to me. It's it just it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. Also, a little weird. Uh, Project Greenlight is coming back on HBO oh, Max, cool. but it's going to be uh led by Issa Rae. So that mm-hmm. I was like, I was not really not interested in Project Greenlight. And it's like, but instead of Matt Damon, you have Issa Rae. It's like, ah, mm-hmm. I am interested in Project Greenlight. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. I'm curious what that's going to be. Um, I will probably check it out. Uh, but just like I, of things I would have anticipated, it not that. Because I don't think that the more most recent revival season they did was all of that successful. Or you didn't seem like it made that big of a splash outside of, you know, that viral uh, moment of of Matt Damon White explaining diversity <laughs> um, about how diversity behind the camera doesn't matter. It only matters in front of the camera. My black producer, my, my acclaimed, you know, uh, uh, man, I don't remember the, I don't remember what her title 
was. Yeah, I don't remember either. Uh, but she was the one, like, getting everything done, you know, like, who's actually, you know, boots on the ground, making things happen, you know, there every day, uh, and just, just talking right over her. Uh, so aside from that moment gaining traction, um, I didn't think there was much of a response to the last one, so I was surprised. But, hey, I'm very curious to see what an Issa Rae-led version of the show is so that's intriguing yeah. to me for sure i think that's interesting as and i say that as someone who's literally never watched project green light like mm-hmm. i've never seen an episode of it because i was just not interested um <laughs> so i i may watch an episode of this yeah we'll see um and then last we did want to mention there were some celebrity uh deaths this past week um now charles groden is best known for people uh for midnight run and beethoven the dad and beethoven uh but he also had a long and seducing miss piggy <laughs> seducing miss piggy he had a a long run of like guest appearances on tv yeah. um certainly and uh kentaro mira uh who is a manga artist uh also died this this past week he's you know again we talk about tv mostly but some of his work has been adapted and most notably uh for a lot of people's berserk so there have been a lot of tributes to him going around and then i paul mooney who's a comedian um and he again lots of tv appearances but also he was a writer for sanford and son the richard Pryor show in living color a Chappelle show and more um so you know he's one of those 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 comedians and actors if you saw him if if you don't know the name paul mooney which you should but if you don't if you saw him you'd be like oh yeah he was very memorable in that this episode of this one of this show or that episode of that show um as a as a stand-up and a comedian um he 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 wrote the like the that i think he wrote that very famous richard Pryor snl sketch with the word association yeah i think so too if i'm remembering correctly yeah, so so certainly that is quite a loss, um, and uh, yeah, I, it was it was nice to revisit some of his work and some of these other um, the other works of of these uh, these these creatives over the over the past week and see people share stories and everything. So uh, we thought we should mention that as well. Um, like we said at the end of the show, we're talking about the nanny, but let's get into our week in TV because we are already. Like 15 minutes in to my guesstimation of 70 minutes. Uh, so we're going to listen to a little Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and be right back with our Week in TV. That was Modern English's uh, I Melt With You, which was performed by Jean Levy on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Uh, this week, we're going to kick things off with uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which had its finale, Zoe's Extraordinary Goodbye. Then Mom had its series finale. Uh, Zoe has not been renewed yet, so this may be the series finale. It's on the bubble. We'll see. Yeah. Mom is definitely series finale. Uh, My Kind of People and the Big To Do. 
Then Top Chef Portland had Feeding the Front Lines. And because we're recording a little later than we normally do, we also are going to talk about Restaurant Wars. We didn't want to put it off for another week. Then I'll mention briefly Legendary, Seven Deadly Sins, and Pop-Tart. And then we have Legends of Tomorrow, The X Factor, and we'll run these out with the return of Superman and Lois, Broken Trust. So first up is Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and their their, their finale. And um, I kind of can't begrudge them the terribly tidy and frustratingly pat uh, denouement of Zoe and Simon's relationship because I am very, uh, I have plenty of other questions, but I am very happy with where they left the season cliffhanger and that it wasn't a cliffhanger about Zoe and Max, but it was a cliffhanger about now that Zoe has a stronger sense of herself and what she wants She's sharing her gift or something, you know, like what's happening, right? I actually quite like that twist. What did you think about it? Was it a bridge too far or was it a good place to end the season? I don't want to say it was a bridge too far, but I have so many questions again, Zoe. <laughs> don't make me have questions about your premise, please. I already did with the the the, the scattered predestined uh, song choices. Because um, that, that, while a great concept for an episode, as I said... The rules. What are the rules? <laughs> um, but I also can't be too angry about it because I did really like the number. I really liked um, Aston's like response to all of it. I thought it was really, really great. Um, and I'm really intrigued to see what this means for the show going forward. Um, I still have a lot of questions because he did not download the entirety of iTunes into his brain while he was in an MRI machine. <sighs> So I still have questions. <laughs> um, but he also knows more music than Zoe does. So maybe that's why. My headcanon uh, mm-hmm. is that she was in such a space, a headspace in funk, right? Previously, that she's always had this ability to like project, like to like be a satellite dish for her uh, 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 for her ability to other people who she's particularly attuned to. Um, mm-hmm. But it's been blocked off because she has been blocked off. So okay. that's what I'm how I'm justifying it. Um, and sure. actually, I'm very intrigued with the notion because like part of it, part of the fun, at least I, I say this still not having seen a lot of season one. Uh, but part of the fun has been the fact that apparently Zoe knows like no songs. No, she knows no songs. She doesn't know what any song is, basically, which is great. It's my favorite bit because I feel that real hard. And, and so, like, I, you know, that is not the case, demonstrably not the case with Max. And uh-huh. so he'd be like, no, you sang I Melt With You. <laughs> like, he wants to be like, oh, you sang a hard song. It was some song about this. It was really like, no, modern English, 1980, I don't know, this, mm-hmm. I don't know the year. Like, it's like, you know, like, he, I expect if the show comes back, uh-huh. I expect them to deal with this differently for Max. Because if yeah. they don't, it's really, really frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So, um. And I thought it was a lovely choice. I thought it was a good choice for her, her vocally. Like, a big part of, like, Levy is terrific on the show, but she was not cast to be the si- a singer because she, she can sing when needed, but she's the one that they're all singing to. So yeah. she can she can get away with being a little less, you know, vocally powerhouse, right, um, than the rest of the cast because most of the time she's 
observing and reacting to the songs rather than participating in the songs. Um, so I think that it was a good song choice for her that she that suited her voice well, fit the moment well. Um, and it was just really neat. It was a fun way to to up the stakes and unnecessary, which I think was necessary for them mm-hmm. restarting this relationship in a, in a, from a different, like a clearly like line in the sand, different place. Um, this mm-hmm. is, this time it's different and here's how we're committing to that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really, I'm really interested to see if they get a renewal. I hope they get a renewal, what that will be for the next season. Do you, do you have any other thoughts on that or, or on the rest of the episode? I mean, like you, I'm a little frustrated with the easy-ish resolution about Simon. Um, I was actually talking to my partner while we were watching the episode. I was just like, I'm really kind of frustrated we dropped the diversity, equity, and inclusion aspect of this story. It's just kind of faded away from the narrative. Um, And then it just comes roaring back in this episode, but is also handled in a relatively smooth fashion. Um, that I'm hoping provides for more storytelling again in a third season, provided the show gets one. So I think that this episode is overall really good. And I did like the actual thing of him being able to hear heart songs. But it also, it's so set up driven as a finale that I just really want to see what the show looks like um, in a third season. So yeah. that's what I'm I'm really hoping for one because there are enough like good elements seated here that I'm just like, yes, please give it to me right now. I do like that the you know, while I think the timing of the breakup with Simon is far too convenient and uh they let her off the hook in a big way that I don't think mm-hmm. is appropriate. I like that not all breakups are filled with angst and you know, she has known this is coming for a while. Uh, like since she decided not to tell him about the heart songs and has kept wearing the ring um, this whole time, like it was clear where this was headed. And I like that he also has been feeling it coming too. And he knows that she's holding something back and he's not interested in being in an unequal relationship. Granted, it's the same issue that she was having with Max, but in a different way. Um, And I like, I really like that. I really appreciate that. Not every breakup on, you know, on a show needs to be like, (gasps) drama and heartbreak and betrayal and and all of that. Uh, But I don't think they built to it enough. Um, Like, I feel like even in the last episode, he was like waking up um, in the morning, singing a song about how much, how happy he is in this relationship and how much he loves this relationship and everything. And then all of a sudden it's just like, yeah, we should break up. Um, Yeah. So that's frustrating. I'd like that, that, that he's fine. That she's like, well, where is he fine? They're like, yep, he's totally fine. He is already over you. (laughs) That was a really good way of handling that too. I really liked that. So that, that made me happy. Yeah. Um, And that allows them to maintain uh, some level of friendship and connection there to have them still be like, to maintain that channel for the show to explore the dynamics at the workplace and some of this other stuff, um, you know, should they get a third season. So that that's nice. I liked the that the entire staff knew about her and Simon, of course. I was like, y- y'all are not subtle. <laughs> that was great. Um, and and then I the other thing that I was a little disappointed in was how, again, how tidy everything with Emily feels, where it's like, sure. I'm on happy pills. Now it's fine. Kind of. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that, again, it doesn't need to all be drama and angst, but I feel like we skipped over several steps that hopefully we will at some point loop back around to. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. Any other Zoe's thoughts? Or if not, 
how was the mom finale? So the mom finale was an episode of mom. Um, just a really targeted episode of mom. Um, I think that this is an episode that would have benefited from Anna Ferris being here because the central crux of the episode is that in addition to Jill and Andy, uh, Jamie Presley and Will Sasso getting married is that Bonnie takes on a brand new kind of, um, whatchamacallit, um, sponsory, sponsy, um, and Melanie Linsky here. Um, who comes to the meeting for the first time and is like trying to get out of it, et cetera, et cetera. And Melanie Linsky's great because she's great. Um, but the conflicts with Melanie Linsky are all centered around her mom, played by Rondi Reed, who's also great. Um, and you're just like, you're watching the show going, oh, we're doing parallels. Oh, this episode was basically written, <laughs> conceptualized with um, Anna Ferris and Christy still being here. Uh, because you're supposed to kind of see those parallels, basically. Um, but I think that the episode as a whole is a really good button on the show because it puts the nature of the work that you have to do as an addict front and center and the ways in which that constantly influences your life and the life of those around you. Um, so one of the things that I really kind of did like about this episode is that it really drives home how happy Bonnie is um, being um, clean, but also how happy she just is with the life that she has built for herself over the past like seven, eight years. Um, she mentions her grandchildren <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, Bonnie, you haven't seen your grandchildren in who knows how long, but good on you for mentioning. <laughs> for, for shouting out to the audience. We know they're there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> So, on the whole, it was a really just, it was an episode of Mom, and it was a good episode of Mom, but it wasn't anything particularly spectacular, um, or like, this is the finale, which, again, I think fits Mom's whole MO of, this was a really kind of low-key, solid performer, and it maintained that consistency, especially after, around season three, when they kind of settled into what the show was going to be, really. Um... And so, yeah, so I really liked it. Um, I liked spending time with the show. I was really glad to get, like, really caught up on it. Like, I want to say, like, four years ago almost now when it first dropped on Hulu and I watched almost all of it. Um, so, yeah, my only complaint is that there wasn't enough Wendy. Just Wendy just kept not having any stories. But, you know, I think that was just Wendy's point. She does get the last word of the finale, though, so that's nice. I like the idea i mean as someone who's only seen a few a few episodes of the show i like mm-hmm. the idea and the approach of just another episode for mm-hmm. a finale and there are I certain shows that that is absolutely the right way to do it yeah and um and i think mom it makes sense i mean even just thematically right yes, that, absolutely. Like that, that that's what the show is okay it's just another day um just another episode and i think a lot of times shows can shoot themselves in the foot when they over engage with the import of a yes. finale. Um, there are shows where it is absolutely nece- like a necessity it is it is necessary for the show to like make a deal of the like to have a very finale kind of last episode. But a lot of shows, especially sitcoms and stuff, like just life keeps going, and that's a good way to end. So I'm glad to hear that it, it had a satisfying conclusion for you. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty good. Um, and I am disappointed that we are losing it because I mean, this was a really st- 
really great show spear led on a casting level by just almost entirely women like William Finchner is like the only series regular who's male on the entire show um and was for pretty much the entire run aside from like recurring guest spots from like French Stewart um um Kevin Pollock and then whomever like Christy was trying to date that <laughs> season like Stephen Weber for that for that one season man um but I think that there was just a real solid consistency about the show. And your point about it being just another day really fits with mom's whole ethos, especially as it entered this home stretch of you're getting through this day. We're getting through this day. We will do this together. Um, so yeah, no, just a really strong season to really strong end. I think to a really, really good show. Great. Um, well, let's move over to top chef Portland and we had feeding the front lines and then we have Restaurant Wars as well. So we're going to keep the Freeding the Frontlines discussion a, a bit brief here. What did you think of this challenge? I think it was an, an appropriate an appropriate challenge. I got to say, I'm very much enjoying all of the, um, in my day, from the All-Stars. <laughs> talking yes. about, like, they're whining about having to do 60 dishes. We had to do 200, you know? <laughs> yeah, I... I, I liked it as a concept and I really liked them highlighting Jose Andres and everything that he does through, um, what is it? Feed the world? Uh, world central kitchen. World central kitchen. Thank you. I think feed the world is like their slogan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I liked it as a concept and it was a good solid kind of twist on their whole. All right. Now you have to do a meal like a package meal type of thing, which is always kind of my favorite thing. One of my favorite things that Top Chef does off and on. I still remember like when they did the, I still remember like when they did the airplane food challenge, which was just a debacle. But I also remember when they had to do the ready to cook frozen meal. That wasn't just a block of food that was sponsored by one of those meal meals in a bag companies, but that only one team got right Mm -hmm. um, because no one understood how to do it. Um, Because at the time that was still kind of a relatively new thing. Um, But this is a really good way of like, it needs to be something that you can eat really quickly, but it also needs to be something that maybe you put in the fridge and reheat and it'd still be good. And that that was kind of like the key thing, even though it didn't seem to weigh in real heavily into the judging. Um, I liked it as a concept to remind them of like, you're giving this to people who may be able to eat a little bit of it at a time, but it needs to be reheated. Um, So I liked it as a concept. I was really glad that Sarah did a vegetarian option um, because no one else really did. And it's just like, some people are vegetarians and would really enjoy a good falafel. Like, who doesn't enjoy a good falafel, though? Um, Because they're delicious. So I liked it, um, and I thought it was a good twist on the challenge that they do on this kind of a challenge. How did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought I thought it was fun, and I and, you know I was very excited to see Sarah do so well with her vegetarian uh, uh-huh. dish, and and specifically that it wasn't like ooh, and she was vegetarian, but it was like this is delicious and not too heavy. A lot of these other dishes are yes. too chefy; they aren't thinking about what the needs of the people eating them are, you know. Uh, and of course, Jamie coming back and slaying and just doing a really terrific job was was fun to see. I also just loved the reactions of all the chefs when when she came back and they're like, "Ah, oh my god, so excited! I was hoping it would be you, right?" Kind of a thing. <laughs> um, it's it was always delightful to see um, 
when people are genuinely excited that someone is getting another shot. And, and that feels like a very warm and cozy uh, Top Chef Portland kind of vibe. Yeah, it's very much a Top Chef Portland thing because that's the first time I've ever seen anyone happy. <laughs> <laughs> All of them happy about someone coming back from Last Chance Kitchen. But I also think it, it mattered a lot that this was this person. Oh, um, yeah who came back because I think everyone loves her so much. Everyone loves Jamie and Gabriel yeah. got eliminated. So, um, <laughs> yeah, we're really okay <laughs> with ha- like, like no, no shade to Gabriel. Who's clearly very talented and very, a very, very talented chef. But it's like, dude, you've been on a different show from the rest of the cast all season long. So like the energy in the house is going to be so much more chill now. Um, and that I think takes us right over to restaurant wars. Yes. Where you had very different energies in the two teams. And uh, I just felt I felt bad for Sarah because I felt like she would have done well on the other team, but mm-hmm. um uh not so much on her team. every time they're just like kind of like looking she's looking around and be like, so guys, so so who shouldn't we have someone who's like front of house and someone who's like back of house? And they're like, no, we can just all do it. It's like, oh that's you're screwed. You're screwed. <laughs> yeah. That the best food in the world will not be solved with like it won't matter if all the food is cold or if the uh like no one is busting the table or no one's get, making sure that they have their their drinks or as happened in at Penny um literally the the guests are, at the chef's table are going ah, it almost feels it's so quiet I feel like rude like I can't talk and and then the, the two chefs are going, Don and Sarah are going like, should we go talk to them? I don't know. We're going to say it's so awkward. I'm like, yeah, that's that identifying. It's so awkward. The vibe at our restaurant is bad. It means you have to go try to fix it. <laughs> um, so I was of course thrilled as soon as like I listeners, I texted Noel when I was watching this. Cause I knew he hadn't had a chance to watch it yet. So I had to keep a spoiler free. I was like, Noel, I'm very, very excited about one of the concepts because it was Kaiseki, but with Latin influences and like Latin, like Cocosan is one of the best names for any restaurant they've ever done on Restaurant Wars. Mm -hmm. And that food looked amazing. When Gail was like going down the menus being like, I want that. I want that. That sounds amazing. This is one of my favorite things ever. Like, (laughs) yeah, let me go to Cocosan, please. Yes, no, absolutely. The four of them need to open a restaurant together. Like, they need to open this restaurant. Um, restaurant Awards is such a cornerstone of the show. As they, as Maria pointed out, it's the main reason a lot of people go on the shows to do this. Um, and it's so fascinating to watch this shift of what Restaurant Wars is into a chef's table experience. And watch all the same errors of a bad restaurant happen regardless of the format. Like, it's just Mm -hmm. mind-boggling to me to watch Penny just completely collapse from a lack of vision. The fact that no one had a cohesive, that they didn't have a cohesive menu, which is an even bigger sin when you're doing a chef's table experience. Um, On top of the fact that they didn't have a front of house and... My God, people, we're 18 seasons in. You know what happens when you don't have front of house in Restaurant Wars? You lose. <laughs> you just lose. Always, yes. Always, like, totally countering what Sarah says in The Talking Head with, when you do global cuisine in Restaurant Wars, it doesn't work. It's just like, oh, sweet summer child. 
you forgot the other thing that doesn't work. Yeah. It's like, oh, Sarah, you were right. Yes, yeah. that is that is also true. And yeah. seafood isn't a theme. <laughs> that's yes. like a, it's like, that. that's not. Red lobster is not a theme. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, it was, it was rough. And especially because it seemed very clear that she, I mean, granted, the talking heads are filmed later. Yes. So who knows how much of this is perspective after the fact? Who knows if they, like, so maybe it was filmed each day. Right. But you do get a strong sense, whether it's from producers and editing or actually like her in in the moment, you do get a strong sense that she can see the train wreck happening. And she's just looking around going, guys, guys, why is nobody else? It's right. That's a wall. We're we're not slowing down. Why aren't we slowing down? Um, And so, yeah, I I felt I felt bad for her that she got eliminated. But I, I also feel like, you know, I don't know that there is something she could have said or done to avoid what happened. Um, and certainly her personality, you know, like she's not the person who's gonna like stand up, take control and be like, you do this, yeah. you do this. And like, that's just not who she is. Um, so I think she was just kind of screwed. And I, it, maybe if she had spoken up at judges table to say, you know, I raised concerns about this and this, I said that we needed, and they didn't listen. And I mean, I don't know that that would have even saved her, you know, because, yeah. you know. Because that ice cream was apparently delicious. Well, so. oh man, I loved all the shots of like, like, I would like another one. And then just like, kept coming back to him just eating more. <laughs> just being like, this is amazing. <laughs> yes, I am going to lick the bowl as everybody else finishes their comments because uh, I want, I want more of this now. This is the best thing all day. Um, yeah. Yeah, it, it was it was a really cool way to do restaurant wars, a, a less stressful way to do restaurant wars. I'm glad they weren't trying to like distance it somehow, or, you know, this was a smart decision. It forced them to, you know, bust the tables and collaborate and all, and all of this. Um, And yeah, I I thought it was again, another really canny choice in a season that has been full of them for top chef. So shout out to the producers on top chef Portland, because they, this has been one of the more adept, um, like adjustments for COVID that I've watched this year. But it's also just a real, because of those, they've produced a really good season of the show. Like regardless, Um, because here's the thing I really love about the chef's table experience of restaurant wars is that it is unified in its presentation. We're not cutting back and forth between watching one of the restaurants struggle before the judges get there while the judges are at the other restaurant, we're just experiencing each restaurant as the judges and the diners are experiencing it. I really kind of liked that consistency of an experience from a viewing from a viewer. I was just like, this is really, really good. And I really like this um, because it really immerses you in that dining experience in a way that the typical restaurant wars format doesn't. And it makes sense not to do it that way with the typical format. So I get it. But I kind of just want them to do this all the time now. Mm. Um, Because it also just takes a lot of stress off what I feel like are really unnecessary things in Restaurant Wars, which is all the decor and stuff. Um, It shouldn't be as big a production as it is, I feel like. Because I think that these little pop-up type restaurants that they do just like... It's always a disaster. The waitstaff is always just a mess and the expediting is always just bonkers bad 
do this like at least every other year because I think it's just a really good experience and it gives the chefs a lot of face time with the judges if the chefs are smart enough to take it. Yeah. Um, because Penny clearly was not. Um, whereas everyone on Coco San was like, yeah, no, we're, we're going to have a party. We're going to hang out. We're going to give you some really good food. But this is just going to be us like hanging out and engaging with you because it's what a chef's table experience is. They kept pointing out. That's why you do one of these. Yeah, that's why you paid top dollar for one. Of yeah, these. exactly. Because these are really expensive. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, were you uh, on board with Maria getting the win? Uh, yeah, I mean, I figured she was based just on a little bit of the edit. It was kind of like she's getting this. Um, but also because she was really driving the face of Kokosan um, and really engaging with them and having a lot of fun with them as well, which was the other thing. Like that whole thing about, I'm not used to a waiter interrupting my conversation. Yeah, well, you get used to it. It's just like, <laughs> yes, excellent, perfect. So mm-hmm. I think that coupled with the fact that everyone did a really solid job of collaborating in pairs that I feel like it would have been really difficult to not give all of them the win, which wasn't going to be an option that they had to basically be like, all right, well, Maria was the face of this restaurant for us. So she's going to get the win, but it legitimately was a team win. I think they just had to pick a individual winner because good Lord, I've never seen people so happy to get hot pot than (laughs) those 15 people. (laughs) Um, Even though I love hot pot. So that's not a knock against hot pot. It's delicious when it's done well. And apparently that was the best hot pot in the universe, which I firmly believe it is. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, I, th- I think it was appropriate. I-, I was waiting for it to be a group win. Y'all win. Yeah, I wanted it to be one because it clearly was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, we're, we're super on board with Top Chef Portland listeners. As you well know, we've been talking about a lot this season. Uh, so, yeah, looking forward to what comes next. Uh, over on HBO Max, we had Legendary, Seven Deadly Sins, and Pop-Tart. And I figured I would mention it because I've been, you know, really enjoying this season. And I love that they used pop art as a theme for one of their balls. Oh, um, that's neat. Right? And they yeah. so each... Each uh, house had a different artist that they were inspired by, and everybody did well. There was, like, one or two that was like, oh, you know, it's okay. But, like, the, I think the lowest score I would have given anyone was, like, maybe a seven, probably an eight. And two teams got tens across the board, and I I think earned them. Maybe I would have said one team gets ten across the board, one team gets... One nine because I think the other team was a little better, but um, but it was just it was a really it was, it was a blend of the the theme was pop art, but they had to feature hip hop, okay. so blending those um was really neat. And then Taraji B Henson was the guest judge, and she was fantastic. She was really fun. Um, and just like there's no audience, but you wouldn't know it because. Uh, Henson is a woo girl through and through, and she will bring the energy, which is great. You know, like, I've been enjoying the season a lot, but, you know, going back and rewatching some of season one, it just, it would be a very different experience if they could benefit from a live audience, like the energy of a live audience. So it's kind of a shame. But I think considering, you know, the situation, they're doing a good job with it. And I'm excited for what's going to come next. The next episode is their first money ball of the season, where I think no one's eliminated, but they they win cash prizes. So there will be more categories. Um, and they're, they're like battling out for cash, but, uh, yeah, the, they're already to like a top five and okay. it's, yeah, it's, I'm, they're 
very talented. They're very good at what they do. So I'm excited about what's going to come next. And uh, just even just stylistically and visually, like using pop art as your theme versus like, you know, earlier in the season they had Hollywood, glamour. It's like pop art is such a better choice for yeah. a Vogue competition. Are you getting me? Way, way more interesting. Um, I, I, so I wanted to shout that out and uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, we have Legends of Tomorrow with The X Factor and we had a singing competition. Uh, what did you think of, you know, our our official canonization of like legit for reals shipping here with Zari 2.0 and John and his Chris Angel new look? London <laughs> Street show? Magician, Johnny C. Oh, my God. Um, he was so angry. Um, it <laughs> Justifiably. Great. It was great. I love when Matt Ryan gets to play angry John Constantine as opposed to just generally kind of grouchy John Constantine, which is also good. Um, so this episode, I think, is fine. It coasts really heavily on the fact that Tala Ash is just charismatic as fuck. Um, and she's got really solid chemistry with everyone, as we've established. Um, but she's really, really great with um, Matt Ryan. And I think that the other thing is that there's just so many jokes about DJ Schmore that you can make that it just never gets tired of watching him try to clean his burnt Schmore helmet. But we also never see what he actually looks like. Um, Because you know he actually probably never takes that off, just refuses. Um, And I love that. Um, But I do think that this is an episode where you feel the COVID restrictions of a lack of an audience and the lack of being able to see like more performances and that kind of a thing. Um, because I was watching this and going, Oh, I guess someone else watched Carolyn Tuesday over the break. <laughs> um, not that I'm mad about that. Um, but I really did want to see a couple more of the performances and that kind of a thing. And I wanted like a live audience for everyone to kind of feed off of, um, because that it brought the energy down really for me. Um, but the episode as a whole is fine. I think um, I like the song okay. Um, so it was good. There were good bits in it. Um, but I'm just super concerned about whatever is happening in the Sarah and um, Gary corner of the show because I don't know what it is. And it's really boring. And I'm always kind of sad when it I'm we're cutting to it and we're only three episodes into that story. And I'm just like, nope. Yeah, hopefully that picks up some traction. Um, from where we leave off in this episode uh, mm-hmm. with them. Yeah, definitely. For me, actually, this, the corner of the show that I was more disappointed in is the Ava and Rory stuff because, sure. guys, we did this last season. They bonded. They're good now. So that was a little strange to me. Like, it was good, but it felt um, like, why Why are we retreading some old ground? Mm-hmm. And why are we pretending like they ha- they don't have a relationship because they should. And it's more interesting if they develop that rather than backpedaling and then, then ending up where we, where we do with that. Uh, but I, you know, I, I also wanted more from the songs. I wanted better songs. The songs are fine. They were not bad. Yeah, They're fine. But you know, they're capable of more than fine on this show. So, you know, hopefully they, you know, they will continue to bring it, but I thought the comedy worked really well. I like the different interpersonal it's and very family funny dynamics. This season, yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. Um, our last show for the week is Superman and Lois, which came back from its hiatus with Broken Trust. And, um, yeah, Jordan just being a shitty brother. And, oh, so angsty. So very, very angsty. He's so uh, angsty. 
Yeah, they've really done a lot to get get us on board with John. I gotta say, like, and, yeah. and kudos to the actor too, because that straight man um, like role is so easy to just not really work or to be overly earnest or to kind of be mopey or dopey. And and I think he's doing a good job with it. He is, and I think that the especially in this episode, the ways that they layer him having gotten over really and gotten excited about Jordan's powers and abilities now, and, but also wanting to make sure that he's safe um, and isn't putting everyone else at risk. Um, I think is a really great way to watch that then crumble with breaking his hand in half (laughs) because you can't control yourself. Um, And I think that that is a really great way of making a logical break, basically, as opposed to this kind of squishy or trite. But I didn't want to move here. And also, I don't like you type of thing that and I'm jealous of you and all this kind of stuff that was happening Um, because that was really boring. And this was much more interesting. And then this being the break for now, anyway. Um, I think makes a lot more sense and is a lot more interesting to watch. Um, Jordan has to be like really grounded, right? Like super grounded. He broke his brother's hand in half. (laughs) Well, and had he connected, he could have killed that kid. Yeah, absolutely. Like Like, they're like, like, yeah. The broken hand is a significant thing, but that was right at the start of the punch where he hadn't like, he hadn't channeled all the energy from his muscles in, in, in yeah. the motion into the, you know, so if he had, if he had, he would have not just broken the jaw, he could have done some even more serious and lasting damage to that kid. So once he, you know, doesn't explode, hopefully, um, when they figure out what's going on with him. Um, I can't wait for jor hologram to be like, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> well, it's got to be some sort of like, it's obviously he's picking up the sound, right? It's, it's a, some sort of a migraine or hypersensitivity kind of brain uh-huh. trauma issue, but like, we'll see what's coming with it. But yes, he's got to be all of the grounded. Um, yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling about Lois and Lana um, teaming up is... I guess the right word? I don't know. I kind of forgot what was happening on the show because the hiatus was a little long. Um, I kind of forgot about all the more dimensions stuff. (laughs) I think that, I mean, like, obviously the actors are selling it because they're good. Um, They are good. But, like, it's like, I came to you guys because you're my friends. No, they were Clark's friends. And just Lana was Clark's friend. You've been in town, like, a few months? Yeah. These Probably are not your most. friends. Like, you're more friendly than other people, maybe, but, like, not that friendly. Um, so that, it's a bit of a stretch, but again, the actors are selling it. I like that they're giving um, Lois and Lana some things to do. You mean having two of the only three women on the show talk to each other is is a great idea? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, and uh, I also, like, the the immediate well you're shady as hell so uh yes. not trusting you yeah. uh, that we get with with our stranger um mm-hmm. and i also like that we are i mean like i it feels uh, again convenient this should have come up years ago but like uh, lois's dad and like the tension of this is a teenager who looks like a grad student but whatever this is a teenager uh, that we are going to shoot with live rounds like that. This, I guess, is supposed to be an escalation. It's broken trust, Kate. It's broken trust. So that this feels like something that should like 
that should have either happened a long time ago mm-hmm. and, and, and been like, they had to, something they had to deal with in their relationship and their working relationship um, with the military and Superman um, or something that like something else more uh, significant needed to happen to push it to that point. I don't think they've earned it. Um, yeah. And I, it, it just feels very motivated by what the plot needs around. Yes. Um, you know, this, this threat or this fear of what Superman could become. Uh, I do like that they have, that they have kryptonite bullets uh, of some level and that it doesn't, it like obviously hurts, but does not incapacitate Superman. I like that there is some middle ground because that is usually not how kryptonite is handled on, on these shows. So, you know, that, that introduction of yes there is some kryptonite there's not a lot but there is some and it does impact but doesn't completely incapacitate superman uh is a good lead into whatever's coming next with this x kryptonite that apparently not even clark understands or knows about um so you know that's interesting and we'll see what comes next i also like that they found that out that they didn't the show didn't stretch that out much longer for you know like i like that lois is good at her job and figures some stuff out yeah, I think that I agree with you about everything with the live rounds and everything because it does feel heavily motivated to be as thematically sound as possible and to bring about that conversation that Clark has with Jordan about trust. And once you break it, it's really difficult to... You basically can't get it back, depending. Um, and they dramatize that with his whole, like, real scary laser eyes, heat vision eyes at that soldier, um, which is really well played by both everyone in that scene. Um, But I agree with you that it just feels really ham-fisted and ways of making sure that we hit a thematic parallel and also that we continue to push that concept of an evil Superman, which is just so boring and I don't care. I'm tired of evil Superman as a concept. Um, So it just, it felt just, like it was very on the nose and not in a way that I enjoy. Cause you know, after doing this for so long, I don't mind when things are on the nose. I like it sometimes. And this just didn't hit that button right for me. Yeah. No, I am on the exact same page as you with that. You know, give me yeah. some well-executed cheese <laughs> or, yeah. you know, but you know, or just like exactly what's expected, but in the most delicious way. Um, and this is, I mean, I still think I'm still enjoying it. I'm still glad it's back, and there's mm-hmm. a lot that the show is doing right, or and certainly better than I expected. At episode six of a first season show, but uh, I'm a little leery about where some of these storylines are headed. Um, what was your weekend TV? Uh, Restaurant Wars from Top Chef. Like, I just had so much fun watching that episode last night. Um, and I really needed something fun to watch last night, so I'm glad it was good. What about you? What won your week? Yeah, definitely Restaurant Wars. But I will also shout out uh, the Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist finale. Uh, mm-hmm. a, a number of really, really fun songs and performances. And I, I'm glad that we talked about that every week this season. Um, me so too. So thank you for getting me to watch it. Yeah. Uh, now we'll take a break, listen to the theme song for The Nanny, and come back with our DVD shelf about The Nanny. Shop in Flushing, Queens Till her boyfriend kicked her out In one of those crushing scenes What was she to do? Where was she to go? She was out on her fanny So over the bridge from Flushing To the Sheffield's door She was there to sell makeup But the father saw more She had style, she had fun She was there That's how she became the nanny Who would have guessed That the girl we described Was just exactly what the doctor prescribed Now the father finds her beguiling One child, CC. 
That was the theme song to the nanny. Because why would I try to hunt down a trailer when I could just use the theme song? Because it's like just tells you everything you need song. to know. It's a very good theme song. Um, this week we are talking about the nanny, which is currently available for streaming on HBO Max, um, and it has six seasons, uh, varying in episode counts up to like twenty-seven. Um, but of course, it starts Fran Drescher as the titular nanny who uh, very quickly goes from being a you know 30 year old bridal shop she's 29 uh, she's 29 <laughs> um, in the in the pilot to nannying um for for a family and just don't don't overthink it like the amount of hand waving on the show and how comfortable they are doing that like i was expecting you know i watched this a bit when it was on i was expecting to revisit the show for the first time in a very long time and like have more of like a setup kind of pilot at least and Mm -hmm. no they spend no energy on making it make sense they're just like eh we're going to have fun. Come with us. She's she's literally there. Like, that's it. Like, it's just what the theme... It's what it says on the theme song, Tin. She's literally there. And they can't get anyone else. <laughs> um, so, how was it for you, revisiting this? Did you watch mm-hmm. it while it was on? And mm-hmm. what are your takeaways? So, it was really fun revisiting this. Um, and we did watch it while it was on. This was kind of a staple of watching... Uh, for my family a little bit like I have memories of watching this and also everybody loves Raymond which aired roughly at the same there's a fair amount of overlap between the two shows and they actually take place in the same CBS cinematic universe um, because Ray Romano went to the same school as Fran Fine and there's a whole episode about their high school reunion that uh, uh, Ray Romano has a cameo on as Ray 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 Barone. Anyway, um, but I remember like watching the show at home. I also remember watching it at like a, a friend of the family's house as well. Like that was just one of the shows that we had on. Um, and I remember really liking the sassy butler Niles um, because, of course, I did. Um, so I think that, but watching it again is sort of like going back and watching like. Stuff that you shouldn't have been allowed to watch, but your parents watched, let you watch anyway because they knew that the jokes were going to go past you. Mm-hmm. But you could still enjoy some of it, and it would be good. Um, and that is what this was. <laughs> of like, this show's a little dirty sometimes. Um, and it's... And it works. Um, but, so, yeah, it was just... It was a really good experience going back and watching it again. And experiencing it kind of fresh, really. Um, but also like with a more critical lens of going, some of this did not age well. And also some of this probably wasn't, some of this just wasn't okay in like from 1993 to 1999 when it ran. Um, but we know better air quotes now, um, than we did then air quotes again. Um, so yeah, so it was really good. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm like, I listened to season two. Um, to fall asleep. <laughs> I start with the second episode, which has, um, what's his name? Um, oh, Michael McKean. Michael McKean, thank you. Who pops up as um, CeCe's brother. Um, and I just fall asleep listening to the show. Um, because it's really good background noise now. Um, but yeah, so I've really enjoyed watching it, obviously, because I watched so much of it. 
Um, yeah, so let's, let's kind of dig in a little bit, but should we, like, give the premise for folks who haven't seen this show before? Well, they listened to the theme song. So they they know the premise. Yeah, okay. Cool. Um, but we didn't even talk about, like, Cece's whole deal. Poor yeah. Cece. <laughs> oh, yeah. Watch out, Cece. Um, so, yeah, there's it's interesting, because this is a combination of, like you were saying, um, stuff that like what apps absolutely I'm sure flew over my head at the time and mm-hmm. stuff that uh, is very family friendly. And, uh, and so it's an interesting balance because it's a incredibly broad comedy and yes. parts of it feel very dated and parts of it hold up shockingly well. And yes. um, not just in like the topics or whatever, because obviously there's some, there's some stuff that like there's some fat phobia there's there's a lot of stuff that i I think think is very like it wouldn't be an issue if they didn't return to the beat so often there's some gay panic stuff there's some like well you know being in the theater will make you gay kind of stuff um which is interesting especially with the metatextual issue of that of course fran drescher co-created the show with her husband who then later after they got divorced came out as gay um so Mm -hmm. like and they have a really positive, very supportive relationship. They actually yes. made another show about their, their, I think it's called Happily Divorced, right? Yes. Uh, based on their relationship. Um, but so there's some interesting stuff there that some of it, it you're kind of watching cringing and some of it I think actually holds up really well. Um, the stuff that I did not expect to hold up so well is how... Like, sometimes the broadest stuff really still works in a way that other sitcoms from the 90s does not um and amongst that is our like one of the core parts of the show like the central part of the show is the the will they won't they of fran and and maxwell you know of of miss fine and and mr mr sheffield right um but then just as important is the sparring back and forth and clear hatred between niles the butler and cc the business partner of theater producer Max Sheffield, who uh, has been with him, like working with him for like 20 years or something like that. Since 15. the 70s. And one this one of the episodes demonstrate to us in a flashback. Yeah. Um, and yeah. is clearly trying to like get with him even after he's married, like in a way that doesn't make any sense. Um, no. That part of it doesn't hold up. But I was shocked that the 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 bitchy sparring back and forth really really does and I think that's down to some of the writing but also to the performances from from uh Daniel Davis and Lauren Lane uh because like they're like that shouldn't work it should like I was expecting it to not be that funny to get tired real quick and to also like cuz I they eventually like Reveal that they've got like this um, negging and hate hate based uh, attraction, and they kind of they get those two together. And I was like, oh yeah, because we can't have the obviously gay butler be gay in the nineties or something. But mm-hmm. that's what I was anticipating, and then I was really okay with it. I was on board. I was shocked. Um, what what? How did that work for you? And did that hold up as well for you? Because I was shocked that it did for me. So I think it does hold up really. Overall, really well. I do think that some of the insults um, veer into uncomfortable territory about, like, gender essentialism. And there's a lot of, like, oh, yeah, no, she's really a man. And that kind of really 
even then wasn't really super funny. Like those are the jokes that don't really land for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't, I feel like they don't super land for the audience, but when they're just like directly mean spirited, um, that just about her in terms of like, she hasn't had a date in so long. She hasn't had sex in so long. Um, which again, also like, you don't need to have, always be having sex. Like Niles, mm-hmm. you're definitely not having sex. Like, yeah. let's just, let's just not throw those, those rocks in this glass house. Um, but I do think that overall, like the chemistry between both of them, uh, between Davis and Lane really helps you get past some of those things as well. Um, or at least they don't trip you up as much. Yeah. But I do think that the delivery of them and the, the, the very farce way that they're driven makes a big difference as well, because you mentioned that the show is very broad and it is, but it's broad in like the good best possible ways. Um, from its premise, from the whole the whole class issue, um, to just the ways that it just steadily goes, all right, we're not even going to pretend that Fran and Max aren't interested in each other anymore, but we're still going to kind of be like, Max is just too stupid to realize it. Um, or he's going to admit that he loves her, and then he's going to take it back. Okay, I should have gotten so tired of that. I should have. But it, you don't, though. You like, don't! It's it's really good because I think that the reason why it works and the immediate comparison you make to it is we were on a break. Which is like so tiresome. It's getting tra- trotted out a lot right now because of the Friends reunion that's happening on HBO Max yeah. soon. Uh, but yeah, this works so much better than that. And I think the reason why it works so much better is unlike the we were on a break thing, which is a like a weird kind of... and ambiguity type of deal because they were on a break folks Mm -hmm. um but everyone just kind of like it's only an obsession for ross really when he gets needled about it here everyone thinks maxwell is an idiot and so it just puts all the onus for that narrative on him for being horrible so there's not like any defensiveness from him or anything it's your action was stupid and we're going to razz you for it for an entire season until you come clean to this woman um and really come clean to yourself as well so i think that's the reason why is that like everyone knows he's lying basically and is in denial about it and they're just constantly poking at him about it and that's why i think it remains really funny for an entire season when you're absolutely right it shouldn't be funny <laughs> well in calling it the thing yes exactly it's really good too <laughs> oh it's great it's the thing yeah and I, I, the it it drives so much of the interpersonal stuff that season yes um, and i think a key distinction i think that we're on a break is a great comparison point i think a key distinction here is that almost immediately they fully explain justify and get you on board with his motivation and why mm-hmm. he does why he says that you know like and like i like that they have like the conversation with with fran and i don't even remember who it is about how like well, the kids have already lost one mother and what, you know, they they really love her and she lives in the house. And like, what if something happens, you know, they, they commit to this relationship and something happens and they break up the kids would, you know, not only would his heart, you know, get broken and everything and things go sour between them, but also he's got to think of his kids and like, like it's, it's a very mature 
and reasonable thing that's also in there alongside the denial. <laughs> yes. You know, um, and also they don't have him pretend that he's not into her. Yes, you know? especially by the fourth season. Like, yeah, it's real clear. The, like, like you know, even just that episode when they're like friends, friends, and they make out. You know, like yeah. that's totally a thing that friends <laughs> they do, do. Right? So much kissing. Yeah, it's just kissing all the time, and like good kissing, not like easy kissing. It's good kissing. <laughs> <laughs> well, but then they get to like stretch that out. Who knows and when and like and mm-hmm. the fact that Niles doesn't know and can't trick them into saying it to like you know so is delicious. And yeah. then like when when uh Maggie finds out and and he's she's like, "Oh, that's the thing in Paris." Oh man. Well, it makes way more sense of why you're because two of us there's three of us and two of us can drive now. So like the fact that we still have a nanny doesn't really make any sense. Um, you know, like like it, they 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 lampshade it in an appropriate way, and the pacing for how they break out, like who knows what when about the thing, um, I think really works well. So it, instead of being this tiresome thing, like with the we were on a break, Rachel is completely and obviously in the wrong, but for whatever reason, the show is on her side with that yes. and the friends are on it and, and like Monica you get the sense that she's on her side knowing that it's ridiculous but like yes girl code you know but like there nobody's on Ross side because that's funny but it doesn't make any sense and and she Rachel stays upset about it legitimately upset about it as opposed to no I get it but I'm gonna still give you crap about it because it sucks right exactly you know for like the whole like rest of the show practically. And so like yeah. this is just a much 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 better version of that. Yeah. Right. And I think that that concept as well of the thing also provides a really good farcical structure because one of the other things I really do love about the nanny is the fact that these are just stock characters executed perfectly. Um so you've got the lower class lower class love interest with the higher class British um not even a snob, because he's not super snobby. He's a little snobby, but nothing compared to, like, the other, like, people of both his family, but also his uh, his dead wife's family, who are awful. Um, and then you've got Niles is, like, the sassy, but also just really, really nosy, needing-to-know-everything-butler-servant character, which is just... Again, archetypal. And then you've got Sisu, who's just also very archetypal as, like, the sexually frustrated. The shark. Yeah, I know. And Sisu slides into that as well. So I think that the thing about the thing is, is that it provides basically an entire play's worth of material of what fits all of these characters perfectly if you were just doing a farce on stage, right? Of everyone's trying to figure it out. Two people know... And then it just starts trickling out, and it's really funny as a result. Mm-hmm. So it's just really good construction and a really good exploitation of their characters and everything. So I think it works really, really well, and it just fits the show really perfectly. We also should shout out uh, Sylvia and Grandma Yetta. Uh, yes, and and Val, like because the you know I think I I don't remember there being a lot of like bold underlined italics jewish characters on sitcoms at this time 
Um, and just, just being like, yeah, they're very Jewish. It's a very big part of their identity and it's how they like, like the, like there's episodes about Hanukkah. There's episodes about just like, like it's a very specific subset of Jewish culture, Jewish American culture in like this time period and everything. And I love that. Apparently there were a lot of network notes about like, can we make her Italian? Can we make her something else? Or just like vaguely New York working class, but like not actually get into like this, the cultural specifics for the character and like the signifiers uh, as being Jewish American Um, and, or just being Jewish and New York, Jewish specifically like that that subculture um and I'm so glad that they held to that because it just like it's such a specific part of the character and the if you didn't have that kind of specificity to 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 Fran I don't think the show works um and also it's just the the, all those performances are absolutely delightful yeah and I think that there's a couple of things here is to kind of call out with that because I think it's a really good point because one of the things I really, really like about the show, um, but that is also like on that border of like, this could, this is also like on that border of this is also not a good thing is that no one, none of the other characters are anti-Semitic. So when we get people who like kind of don't like Fran, like Max's um, former in-laws or even his mother it's a class issue and not because of who she is um like her um religion and so forth um so the jokes are they're the ones making these jokes about themselves which is always a kind of like a, a fuzzy line of like they're never punching down with the jokes which i really really like but it also can very quickly reinforce like stereotypes and that kind of a thing. Um, but they execute it really, really well. And Renee Taylor, who plays Sylvia, is really funny. And Morgan Gilbert, who worked from like 1952. She was on the Dick Van Dyke show, and they make a number of references <laughs> to that. Um, who plays Yetta. Also just really delightful. Um, so I think that there's just a lot of really good stuff there that the identity comedy I think is really, really sharp and provides good layers of humor for the show, especially when you're dealing with a family as waspy as this one is. Yeah. Um, that, especially when the kids start like picking up bits of Yiddish um, and delivering that, it's just like this, it signifies like how deep Fran's burrowed into their lives. Um, and I really, really like that as like a signifier. Um, but it also just really drives home that ways in which plenty of, um, Jewish American culture has just kind of become American culture. And I like watching that happen, um, on the show to a certain extent. Yeah, no, definitely. And like, whenever you have, cause there's, they go back to that well of having, especially Max and, uh, and Niles, like. Mm-hmm. get confused about meanings of different Yiddish yeah. like expressions and stuff like that. It is always with a tone of wanting to get it right as opposed yes, to exactly. deriding or mocking or like they mm-hmm. all sound the same. All those words are all the same. You know, yeah. like it, it's more like, why can't we keep this straight? We're really dumb. Yes. Um, and and that, that's an important tonal difference. That that does a lot, yeah. So so I mean, I was just absolutely delighted revisiting the show. Like besides uh, some cringy stuff, 
here and there. Don't get me wrong. It is very much a late ni- late 90s show. But uh, the last thing I wanted to mention is uh, she got some attention for the show. But uh, Fran Drescher is delightful and fantastic throughout. I love the the range that this gives her to play. I, I'm mm-hmm. sorry that she did not get more off of this. <laughs> I, who knows if she wanted it. But it, she should be in more things if she wants to be. Because um, she's really, really good. And it's the kind of role that I think ends up pigeonholing a performer because so yeah. many people don't understand how much trickier and new, more nuanced comedy is to land than drama. Um, but she's really good. Yeah, she is really, really good. Um, one of the other things I do want to call out um, is that one of the other shows that I kept thinking about with this in particular was 30 Rock. And bear with me here for a second was the fact that this show relies really heavily on you having a very specific set of cultural touch points um, <laughs> for a lot of the humor. Like, if you don't know Gilligan's Island or Bewitched, or also I Love Lucy, because I Love Lucy is very clearly a heavy touchstone for this show. But also, if you don't know a lot of musical theater, some of this stuff's just not going to work. There's so much <laughs> musical theater joke. Oh, I love it. I love, like, when they did, like, the the the, the Frumacera thing. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh man! Like you said, I was gonna do Phantom, and and you're like, no, you gotta do Fiddler, and like they don't explain it beyond that. It's great. So I think that it reminded me a lot of Thirty Rock when people talk about like how Thirty Rock maybe won't age well because it was so steeped in its time, and the nanny is not steeped in the '90s, but it's very much steeped in 1960s t- television as well as musical theater. So much so that there's just that really great. Did you get, did you get to did you watch the episode with the cemetery? musical number yeah that's the from sarah thing yeah yeah okay yes no that's what i thought i wanted to make sure it's just like it's so good it's funny if you don't have the cultural reference <laughs> yes i i have played fiddler in the past uh yeah. the show so yes For listeners if you don't know it's like based off of like um in fiddler on the roof uh the tevia is trying to convince his wife to, to get her on board with one of the daughters marrying somebody uh other than the rich butcher so he invents this whole like um visitation by by a deceased aunt so a de- his a deceased family member who with a yeah. premonition of doom should she go through with the arranged marriage and um so when when maxwell finds out that uh sylvia and the rest of the family are superstitious about ghosts and dreams um he's like aha this is how i'll you know get her on board with this yeah. and they do the whole production number it's great and yeah, no, and there's also just a lot of really good physical comedy, um, especially like facial physical comedy. But man, I think it's like a season one or season two episode where Maggie gets a job as a candy striper and Max somehow ends up with appendicitis and mm-hmm. ends up in the same hospital room that Fran is filling in for Maggie because that's how this show works. And just watching Fran Drescher spray... Um, Charles Shaughnessy's mid midsection with um, um, shaving cream while holding up a hospital gown is just fucking priceless. And o- O'Shaughnessy somehow is not breaking. I don't know how many takes they had to do for him not to break because I would just be dead. I would be dead. That's one of those episodes that I intended to watch, but the episode numbering was off, so I didn't get to. Oh, so. no. I look forward to revisiting it. You know what I was surprised by is that there were moments that I distinctly remember from when I first watched them that were exactly same. the same. 
And that exactly is one the of them. Yeah. And the other yeah. one is the giant glob of wasabi that she eats that oh God, clears out her sinuses. It's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah. It's so much fake wasabi. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway, listeners, we should wrap up. You should watch The Nanny. It's on HBO Max right now. It's basically the only place you can watch it. Um, streaming, I'm pretty sure, because it's owned by Sony. But, um, yeah, it's really good. You think you would recommend people seeking this out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are if you are not one for broad comedy and laugh tracks and, yeah. like, wait for the audience to react, then this isn't for you. But if you are, then there's a lot to enjoy and just go with it. It's just, just, just have fun with the, with the ridiculousness and like, and now Fran is in drag and like a really, really good drag. Really good drag. (laughs) Like Like disturbingly good drag. They spent a lot of time on that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. They, they have, they have so much fun over the course of the show, just being absolutely ridiculous. And the guest stars, we didn't even mention the guest stars. There's so many ridiculous guest stars. From Constantly. the jump, too. Like, yeah. from the jump. Um, and I like that they have a good excuse for most of them to play themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just the fact that Max is a theater producer makes a huge difference in justifying all these people popping up. But, yeah, no, it's a ridiculous number of guest stars, including hot thing Billy Ray Cyrus. Yeah. <laughs> Ray Charles was great. Uh, uh, Ray Charles Collins. was very good. Earth a kid, like, oh, it's great. Liz, Elizabeth Taylor, like, it's Elizabeth ridiculous. Taylor. Not share. Not share. Not share. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had a Maybe lot of fun though, with this. Maybe, though, but so. not share. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would definitely recommend people seek it out. Um, a few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a poster this episode at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find our M4A chaptered feed and our MP3 unchaptered feed up in Apple Podcasts. We'd appreciate a rating and review there. Um, and you can also find us over on Stitcher. We'd appreciate rating and reviews there as well. And we are on Twitter. I am at the and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Thank you so much for your discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. 